seated. All right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created light and dark, land and sea. He put the sky above the earth, and He put the stars in the sky and the sun and the moon, and He put plants all over it and animals. And we talk all the time about how the pinnacle of the creation was humanity. And He created us in His image, and that's what really sets us apart from the rest of the creation. And it's at that point that God says that everything that He created was not just good, but that it was very good. And there's this element of perfection but if you look at the story, what we see is that, that when God creates humanity, He still notices that something is missing. There's something that's missing. In fact, He looks at Adam, the, the first man that He creates out of the dust, as we just sang about, and He sees Adam and He says, something's not right. He says, the man is, is lonely. He needs a companion and someone to be with him, someone to be experiencing life with. Even after humanity, in Adam is created, it's missing something. I think it would be more appropriate for us to say that the pinnacle of creation is family. It's only when Adam and Eve come together and are husband and wife that God realizes that the creation is complete and rests. There is something about family that is essential to the creation, that is part of how God designed everything to be. And he tells Adam and Eve that they are to be fruitful and multiply, to have children and to fill the earth. Family is at the core of God's design for this world. Now, don't hear me saying what I think we've sometimes communicated in church, which is that if you're a single adult, you're like half a human waiting to be made whole. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, later in the New Testament, Paul's going to actually say, hey, if you're single and can stay pure, stay single. It gives you more time to serve God and love others. And so that's an essential part of this teaching as well. But, but even in that situation, what you see is that that's true for Paul because he understands that if you don't have a family at your house, you have a family in the church. And so you have your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have people that, that you can live life with that become your people. But God still designed the creation to be, be, to be based around and built around family. Husbands and wives, parents and children, brothers and sisters, biological adopted foster and in Christ, all of those are part of God's good design. And it's so important that we celebrate that and that we find ways to live into that. So as we talk about um, practicing the faithful presence of God in the world, that we try and experience God's presence, and that after we experience God's presence, we try to become God's presence to others. And, and we've been going through a series of uh, spiritual disciplines and ways that we engage with the world at church, at home, uh, and in the world, that we do that and become the presence of Christ in all of those different spheres. And what we're talking about today is how do we become the faithful presence of Christ with children? How do we focus uh, on children and, and do as Jesus demonstrates and invite children to be close to us and close to Christ? What does it mean to be the faithful presence of God in the lives of children? You know, I think when we often talk about passing faith to the next generation, there's a tendency to do some things that I want to try and avoid today. Uh, there's a tendency 
uh, to say the most important thing as a parent that you need to do is pass faith to your children in such a way, which is true, but to, to say that in such a way that adult parents and parents of adult children whose kids are not faithfully um, living their adult lives is that it heaps shame on them. And I don't want to do that today. Uh, there's a tendency, uh, it's that same tendency to tell parents of children today that you have all this pressure to teach the right things in just the right way and make no mistakes and do everything perfectly. And if you can do that, you will produce these perfect little disciples of Jesus Christ in their late teens. They'll leave your house and, and they will just go in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, right? I don't want to do that. Um, that pressure should not be on parents any more than it should be on missionaries. Our missionaries get this. If you send missionaries out into the field and you tell them, go and do the best job you can, become all things to all people so that some might be saved. Not all. Jesus, when he's sending out the 72 to go do mission work uh, in the Gospels, he says, listen, go out and proclaim to people that the kingdom of God is near. But if they reject you, don't worry about it. They're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And if they accept you, that's not to your glory. It's to mine because, after all, they are accepting the one who sent you, not the messenger. Parents, here's what you need to hear. You're missionaries and disciple makers to your kids. That is your role. It is your job. God has given you that mission field that is your family and your children and everyone that's related to your, your people are your mission field. But if they don't grow up and have faith, that's not your shame to bear any more than it is a missionary's to bear the shame of every person that rejects his delivery of the gospel. Parents have so many opportunities to live faith and to practice worship and to do so many things with their kids. But at the end of the day, whether or not someone accepts or rejects Jesus Christ is up to their free will and the work of the Holy Spirit in them and through them. And so if you're a parent that's carrying around guilt about your kid's faith, uh, or if you're a parent that has kids at home right now and you're stressing out all the time about whether or not you're doing it right, it's not really up to you. Do the best you can, and then let God take care of the rest. That's what grace is for. Um, and so I want to avoid those two temptations uh, and challenge parents to take on the responsibility without thinking that it is completely up to them. Uh, you know, often we focus too much, and, and, and this is kind of, you may disagree with me, but I'm coming more and more to believe that when we talk about passing faith to our kids, we focus too much on knowledge and belief and not enough on loving God. Um, and here's what I mean when I say that. We want them to know the Bible and we want them to believe in Jesus. And in fact, that's what we ask them when we uh, take their confession and baptism. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Great! But as we talked about uh, last week, you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God and reject Him. Even the demons have belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They're just on the other team. Belief isn't the end-all, be-all. And last week we talked about how one of the things you need is action to be tied to faith. But what I want to tell you today is that I think worshiping and loving and adoring God also needs to be part of it recognizing that God is worthy of being praised because of who He is and what He's done. 
and inviting our kids alongside us in worship and adoration of God. Kathleen Chapman uh, has a book called uh, Teaching Authentic Worship to Kids. <clears throat> and in the introduction of her book, she says, if you want to sell a million copies of a book, what you do is say that half the kids uh, in currently in churches today are growing up and leaving the church and losing their faith. And this book gives you the glue that will glue them to faith and loyalty to Jesus Christ for the rest of your life. She says, if you can make that claim, you can sell a million books. And then she immediately in the next sentence says, so I'm making that claim that this book will teach you what you need to know to glue your kids to faith and a life of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, I've bought a lot of those books because she's not wrong. It sells a lot of uh, books. Um, I love her book. And what I love about her book is she says, uh, really what I was just saying, she says, what we need to teach children is less all of the, the knowledge is less all of the stuff. Give them that. But more than that, and over and above all of that, we've got to model a love of God to our children. And the word worship really comes from the word uh, that means to adore. And, and when we talk about adoring our kid, our, uh, adoring God, we do that in so many different ways. But we need to find ways that kids can do it as well. That kids can uh, adore God through... Uh, arts and crafts and play and games and song and all the ways that, that children show love to, uh, to you as their parents, invite them to show that kind of love to God. And she goes through all of these different activities and ideas, but more than anything, what I hope you get out of me kind of referencing this is the idea that if you want to model a love of God and to teach a love of God to your children, the best way to do it is to demonstrate it through your own life. If you want to teach your kids to be a good husband or wife someday when they grow up and get married or to be uh, attracted to and in, in a relationship with someone uh, that is going to be a good husband or wife to them, the best way you can do that is not giving them a book about marriage. The best way you can teach them to be a good husband or wife when they grow up is to love your spouse well in your family and in your home is to model what that looks like to be a godly husband or a godly wife. That's what's going to instill those values and disciplines and skills and habits in your kids when they don't even need it yet for someday when they do. And if you want to teach your kids how to love God, you don't give them a book on it. You love God alongside them. And you invite them to join you in your disciplines of, of, of showing how much you are grateful to God for who he is and for what he's done. And you just join together as a family in worshiping and adoring and loving God. This is why I, I think this faithful presence approach uh, to being with children is so key. It's not about process. It's not about method. It's not about the right words, right teaching, right ways. It really is about saying to your kids, in this family, we love God. And we do it in active ways. And we do it in, in service of God and service of others. We do it in our generosity. We do it in using the gifts that he's given us. Uh, we do it out loud and we do it inside. That in all these different ways, we as a family are going to love God and love others. Which, of course, Jesus says are the two greatest commands. And in our family, we do that. 
And then you find ways to do it together. Not studying about it, not talking about it, doing it. The more, and the more I, I think about family, the more I pray about family, the more I live out life in family, the more I think it's about relationship with each other and with God and with the church. And we need to continue to pour that into and over our children's lives. D6 um, is a conference we went to a few years ago, and we've taken a lot of D6 uh, ideas here at Northwest. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God is giving the law to his people. And here's what he says. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. The command here is that if you take the words of God and you impress them upon your children's heart, that you can have generational legacy of faith passed down in your family. And this is a huge promise. If you go through the Old Testament, there's not a lot of families that have three generations of faith. This is an incredible gift. And God's telling them, if you will just do this with your families and your children, you will have multi-generational faith and you will have great blessing in the land where I'm promising you to take you. And he keeps going and he says, Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Know the commandments. Teach them to your children. That's the knowledge side, the belief side. We're good at that. But he says, not only that, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. Love God, and that's going to change everything for your family and for this nation, for God's people. And then he says this, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, is this actual like HGTV instructions about how to decorate your gates and doorways and, and houses with love the Lord your God written all over them? That's cool. You can do that. Some people have, and I think it's awesome. Um, in fact, some of our members here have it written in certain places that are very special to their family. They've written it on doorposts and on places in their homes. But more importantly than that, it, what, what he's really saying here is there's a little test. Um, you should ask yourself, have I taken an inhale or an exhale in the last minute? If the answer is yes, then that's a good moment to be engaging God in, in faith with your family. It's kind of a breath test. If you've gone a couple minutes without uh, taking an inhale or an exhale, you're done. You've done all you can for your family. But up until that moment, if you are awake and there is still hot air coming out of your mouth, it's a good time to talk to your kids about God. It's a good time to talk to your kids about faith, to tell them who God is and what he's done and what that means for us as his people in this place and in this time. There's not a bad time 
if you're still breathing, to share faith with your family. And if you do that, it'll impress God and impress faith on their hearts. On their hearts. It's a difficult thing to do a a funeral for someone uh, who dies without faith. It is a difficult thing. Um, When I do those, one of the things I talk about is that even though that person has passed away, the legacy of that person, the love of that person, the memories of that person, the impact that they've made on the lives of everyone in the room is in a way, a way that they continue to make a difference in, in their lives. That though they are gone, their impact echoes in our lives as long as we remember them. And that's true. But how much more true is it for Christian parents to be able to pass down not just an impression of their love and their life on their children, but for Christian parents to be able to impress on their children's heart their loves and the Father's love and faith in God and generational faith so that your children and their children might believe to impress that on your kids. Again, if you struggle with doing this in your family, you're in good company. If you look at the Old Testament, look at all the the heroes of faith and people that are champions of faith in the kingdom of God and his people, what you'll often see is they struggle to be good parents and their children struggle to be faithful. And so don't hear me saying, if your kids don't believe, you're not a person of faith and you're a rotten person. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that if you're a faithful person, that I want to challenge you to love God in a way that contagiously moves through your family in ways that if you're blessed and fortunate and lucky and the Spirit of God moves through your family, not lucky, if you're blessed and God grants that request and is faithful to your faithfulness, can have a generational impact on your family and your legacy. And so on one occasion, Jesus uh, is, is in, involved in his ministry and he's teaching and he's in a crowd. And it says here in Matthew chapter 19, the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. I talked about this a couple months ago. <clears throat> One of the things that I love about this story is that, that these parents saw Jesus, who is a famous rabbi and teacher and leader, and they, they thought to themselves, I think that he will bless my children if I go up and talk to him. Which is pretty remarkable, because most of the time when, when famous and important people are walking around, you would actually think what the disciples thought. You would think, oh, that, that celebrity's too busy for my kids. He's got people that are kind of around him keeping away the crowds. And maybe he's got time to shake hands with important people, but not children. That's not his business. And the disciples thought that, but these parents didn't. These parents looked at Jesus and thought, I think if my kids go up there that this rabbi, this son of God, this Messiah, this really special man, whatever it is that they understood Jesus to be, that he will place his hands on my children and bless them. The disciples say, not right now. He's busy. 
Not right now. He's got more important things to do. And as we explore this idea of the faithful presence of Jesus and how once we experience it, we need to then become it, I think we can put ourselves as Christians into this story. And when we place ourselves in this story, in the lives of children in our world today, what we realize is that we sit in Jesus' seat. And for most of us, it's not disciples who are telling children, hey, not right now, he's too busy, he's got more important things to do. That what in our story keeps children from coming to us and telling them exactly that is television screens, or cell phones, or jobs, or all the commitments that we make to things that aren't our children or the children around us in our lives. And they're told, just like those children in Jesus's world all those years ago, not now, Jesus has more important things to do. And if we're going to be the presence of Jesus to children, we have to rebuke those things the same way Jesus rebukes his disciples and say, no, you're not going to tell children that I've got more important things to do. You're going to let them come to me so that they can be blessed by Jesus through being in my presence and having my attention. I don't have more important things to do right now. If we can become those people that are willing to do that, we then need to figure out what it looks like to do that at church and home and in the world. You're going to be getting a text message at some point this morning, you may have already received it, that's going to give you a, a form that's from the church. And if you go through that form, it has all the different ways that you can be involved in our children's ministry here, involved in our youth ministry here. Uh, it's got ways that you can be involved in, in a ministry that, that you'll learn a little bit more about soon. Um, I want you to prayerfully pray over that form and over the opportunities that we're putting in front of you today for you to be able to tell children, let the little children come to me so they can be blessed by Jesus. Instead of, not right now, I've got more important things to do. And as you think about what that might look like at church, we've got Bible classes and youth and children's events. Uh, you can be a prayer champion where you can be praying over our kids and our families and blessing them uh, throughout your time. When you think about what it means to be a, a, a faithful presence of Jesus in your home, uh, when your kids' friends come over, are you modeling a Christ-like family and a Christ-like attitude to them in a, in a way that might be the only time they ever see what that looks like? They may go to their house and say, man, my house is crazy. Their house is a house of peace. Someday when I grow up, I want my family to look like that. You might get to be the gospel to those kids just in demonstrating what family can look like when we understand that it's at the peak of God's very creation. And when you're in the world, how can we find ways to be a blessing to children in the world? It's almost like we need a new ministry that gives us easy and meaningful ways to connect with and be a blessing to families that are in crisis and help them to become families that are on a path towards health and stability. A ministry that anybody could be involved with in small ways, like providing a meal to a family that's going through tough times, or maybe in bigger ways, like being temporary housing for a child while their family goes through a season of crisis to get them to a place of health. 
And we've had families here in the past that have done foster care and adoption, and those are big commitments, and God honors those and blesses those and has blessed this church in so many ways through adoption and foster care going back decades. This church has always held uh, children uh, that need a family close to its heart. Uh, but we've got a new ministry uh, that we want to tell you about that lets us do that uh, in an entry level, that lets you do it as you're going through your life uh, in other ways. And, and so we're going to have a short video, it's about three minutes long, uh, to let you know about this ministry called Safe Families Oklahoma. Uh, and then we're going to have uh, an opportunity for you to hear a little bit more about it as we finish up here. Safe Families Oklahoma is a volunteer movement of the church to strengthen vulnerable families and create an extended family-like support for families in crisis. The model of Safe Families is that we really are coming together as a community, um, and we call that a circle of support. And so it could be a Sunday school class at church, it could be your group of friends in your neighborhood, it could be you and your neighbors that live two doors down and um, across the street that come together and say, we wanna serve a family together. And so if we can come alongside and strengthen that support network for this family, we can see lives changed, we can see families that are just just stronger. Everyone has a different part to play. Mm -hmm. And where some families may not be able to host um, children in their home, um, maybe they can support with supplies and needs. Or maybe they can be a mentor for a mother or a single father. We love the fact that Safe Families has a role for everyone to play. If somebody will just jump in and start, like other people are willing to help, but they don't know what to do or how to do it. I feel like if I was in a tough spot, I'd want people to help me. And like, I know I would be so appreciative of someone that I didn't know was like, hey, let me help you. The Bible says to treat others the way you want to be treated. Like Olivia said, if I was in a spot and I would want someone to help me. One of the biggest challenges when we think about like what um, social sort of poverty uh, looks like uh, for people is uh, a lot of times it's a lack of access to the kinds of uh, relationships or social networks that many of us take for granted. So Safe Families to me is critical because instead of depending on um, sort of the state, which, uh, which you know, can provide good supports, but the state is not a good uh, proxy for family, right? And I don't think any, anybody even in government at, you know, DHS or the places would, would try and suggest they're a good proxy for family. So uh, Safe Families provides a structured, a uh, very comprehensive and supportive environment for people to have that network who may not have it on their own. Regardless of what your gifting is and what your ability to serve is, we want to ask you to come alongside and serve with us. There's different levels of engagement, but at each level, you're gonna have training, you're gonna have support. And so the tremendous impact of volunteers stepping up and helping is it's amazing and it um, truly makes a difference in the life of that child um, and in that holistic, that whole family dynamic. I mean, the word's very clear that we're called to help the, the widows and the orphans and the homeless. And that's exactly what Safe Families does is they use the church, which is actually the, the mode that God originally set up to help people. I um, mean, even now seeing um, the family that we've been able to partner with so much, now they're partnering with other families that they know that need help. And so now they feel more empowered um, to be able to help others in their community. It's really cool just to see the ripple effect of what Safe Families brings. Serve to make a difference, give to make a difference, Visit safefamiliesok.org to get involved.
All right. Let me get Kelly and Anna to come up. Um, they are our kind of bridge leaders that have kind of connected us with Safe Families. And I'm going to let them come up and tell you a little bit about it. Any questions? Okay, the first question is, why Safe Families Oklahoma? Why this ministry? So I want to back up just a little bit because um, most of you know that like my, Troy and I have fostered over the years and adopted. And through that and through working in the school system, I have realized that the best way to minister to children is actually to minister to the entire family. Mm. And um, whenever Anna and I started talking about wanting to help um, foster parents and kids and everything, we got to talking about how what that looks like. Um, as a whole to the whole family and how we can be a little more proactive instead of reactive in those situations. And so back in June, um, I was thankfully introduced to Safe Families um, by another friend of ours who works at uh, the Christian Service Center. And so we got in contact with uh, Jessica and Denise um, who are here today to help us out. Um, And they basically and told us about their model of how, you know, we, we can come in when families are in crisis and we can help them to get through that time. Um, we can be host families, we can be family mentors, we can be resource families. And so there's a little bit of or something for everybody to do so that we can minister to these children and families and we can come beside safe families as a church and partner with them in order to outreach to more families outside in our community, and also to provide support to those host families and and or foster families that are inside of our church. So that is why we've decided to partner with Safe Families. Okay. Do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> what makes you excited about Northwest? Um, like, oh, sorry. What makes you excited about the possibilities of Northwest working with? Um, I'm excited because I think I mean it's hard to tell in a you know a five minute clip, but. Um, there are so many different ways to get involved with Safe Families, and we're a, a congregation and a family of very giving uh, and very um, talented and gifted people in various different ways. And so I think it just allows anyone at any point of their life uh, to be able to serve and reach out to these families. Because um, as Kelly mentioned, it's always better for the child and the family if they can stay together and stay whole. And so being able to walk alongside those families and help support them to keep them together as a family is is super exciting to me Um, and to keep them out of the traditional fostering model and they get taken away from their parents etc and to be able to say no you know we have you have support and you have connection Um, for me personally I think it's exciting because um, the the partnering we've already done with Focus on Home, and all of you have jumped in on that. Um, Through that, through the years, I have met so many different families that have moved here to escape dangerous situations, or um, just every every person that we help with Focus on Home has a different story, but their main thing is, is they end up here because they have no one else. And a lot of times, children get taken away in a situation because that family has no one else to support them. And so, you know, it's, it's a simple thing, like maybe grandma is raising the kids, but grandma needs to go to a doctor's appointment, but there's no one to babysit. So she doesn't get to go to the doctor's appointment to take care of herself. So it's, it's not always a really traumatic or terrible situation. Sometimes it's just, I don't have a babysitter where I know I can call 
anybody in here and you'd watch my kids <laughs> and put up with them. Kelly took all of my kids last night. <laughs> and so, um, and I know any of you would do that. And so a lot of people we forget don't have those people that they can just call and be like, hey, I really need 30 minutes to take a shower, you know, or go to Sam's or do, you know, various things. Um, and so just being able to uh, be that for different people. And it can be you have a car, this person doesn't. Maybe they need a ride to the doctor's appointment, things like that. It's as small or as big as we want to make it or take it. So that's why I'm excited. Yeah. Um, once a kid goes into DHS in the foster care system, there's about a 50% chance that they will be reunited with their families. Uh, Safe Families uh, is a nationwide organization with an Oklahoma City chapter that we're meeting with today. Uh, Safe Families has a history of coming alongside families that might otherwise be placed in the DHS system and they have a 95% success rate in getting kids back in families, mm -hmm. um, which is incredible. And so we want to partner with groups like this. Um, and so that's one of the things we're looking for. You know, there's some families that um, the, the parent may want to go to rehab and get their life right, but they can't because they don't have somewhere safe for their kid to be for a few weeks while they do that. Um, there's so many different circumstances where we take for granted our sphere of social support uh, and this ministry allows us to provide that to other, uh, to other families. And it's a way of serving kids in the world and being the presence of, of Jesus. Uh, if someone needs, wants to be involved in this, what do they need to do? <laughs> so after church today, there is a booth set out in the foyer if you guys want to come and get some more information. <coughs> Jessica and Denise from Safe Families. I want to stand up for a second just so people can see who you are. There's Jessica right there and Denise over there. And they will be there at the information booth to help you guys um, figure out how you can support this ministry and families that we're wanting to support. Um, we are also going to have a what, 45, 30 to 45 minute training that's going to be right after church. Um, and it will cover one of the three trainings that are required in order to be able to volunteer in any capacity with state fam safe families, not state, sorry, safe families. Um, <laughs> safe family, stay family. State, whatever. It's good. Uh, yeah. Um, so you can stay for that um, and that's going to be a lot of like the frequently asked questions it does answer a lot of questions that people tend to ask um, and denise will be there to facilitate that for us if you don't have time to stay today that's fine there's other trainings available and we will can continue to connect you with those um, anna and i are both going to be kind of liaisons between us and safe families um, and then we have a whole group um, team that we have actually um, built in order to continue this process in our church. So those are the ways you can get connected. And I just want to say again, like, don't just hear it's to house kids. Like, there are so many different ways for you to get involved. If you're past the age of being able to chase a toddler around, that's fine. You could be a coach to a family. That's if right. you know how to make a resume or you know how to uh, train someone to do interviews or you just know how to be a good friend you that there's a place for you in this ministry and you can really touch and bless someone's life so please hear it's it's what we want to make it as a church so please ask us questions learn more about it and um, really see this as an opportunity to touch others lives 
sorry, outside of Safe Families, I just want to let y'all know, we are also in the group that we built with church, um, are planning on um, having support systems in place for foster families and host families um, that work with Safe Families or work with DHS. Um, so there are some other big things to come as well, um, but just want to let you know that that's on the horizon. Okay, thank you guys. It was a real exciting moment when, when they spent a while um, planning and saying, man, what if there was an organization that did this? I don't know if it's out there. What if we build it? What if we do this? And, and, and Anna and Kelly, um, there's nothing that's too big for them, but they're kind of just planning and dreaming. And then all of a sudden someone says, hey, I need to tell you about a ministry. And they go, oh, it exists already. What an opportunity for us to, to use a ministry like this to bless families here and in the world. Uh, here's what I hope you hear today. Um, and let me say this, if you can't go to the meeting today because we just kind of dropped this on you uh, this week and you've got other things going on, um, we've sent you a form uh, on your text that allow you to get in there and pray over that and think about how you can be present to children in a way that brings them into the presence of Christ. The question for you today is as you practice being the presence of Christ in church and home and in the world, there's kids that are there. And you're either going to let the disciples or the distractions of this life tell kids, not right now, I've got more important things to do. Or you're going to say, no, let the little children come to me. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a way for you to be involved and be present at home with your kids and your grandkids and your neighbors at church, through the many ministries that we do here at Northwest that bless our families, or through connecting with families in the world and being the presence of Jesus to them in those ways. And there's all kinds of other ways to do it, but I want to just challenge you to find a way to make sure that you're inviting children into the presence of Jesus so that they might be blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Uh, if you need to respond this morning uh, to part of this lesson, or to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that if you believe and are baptized, you can be saved. Come forward this morning as we stand and sing. Jesus is tenderly calling thee home, calling today, calling to 